Monica here. Welcome to the Data Podcast for Nerds, where we get to talk to some pretty amazing professionals and learn all about how they use data to solve the world's problems and highlighting careers that use and or relate to data that you might not thought about before. And of course, we include some fun bits because we're all nerds here and we love to have fun. So you'll want to stick around to the end because Deanna is going to share three tips and give three book recommendations. So hang on for the ride, folks. <laughs> Again, with us today, we have Deanna Fierkin, and she is a change management consultant. I am so, so happy to be here and so excited. Hello, everyone. <laughs> So glad to have you here. Uh, we basically start off our show by learning about what is your origin story and how did you get to where you are today in your career? I love it. Origin story it sounds very fairy tale like. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm going to share a few fun facts before I actually go into the, the actual professional stuff. So I, uh, I come originally from Romania. I lived in Germany and in Canada. Um, I'm going to brag. I speak five languages. Um, I, uh, I teach yoga, among other things. Um, I uh, had a very let's say, tough experience uh, with uh, moving abroad. So I decided to write three books uh, to help people to move, the, move abroad more smoothly. I am also doing a PhD currently in digital transformation and organizational culture. Um, and in my, in my free time, I love and eat croissants, basically. It's one of my hobbies. Um, and when it comes to change management, um, I, uh, do, I did a lot of project management in the past, and uh, two years ago, I and I, I was a little bit afraid to go into change management because I felt that I was narrowing down the options, whereas project management, you know, is broad and can be applied to everything. Um, in a broader sense, change management is a little bit narrower, right? So it's the people side of change. Um, but then uh, at some point, I decided that for an indefinite period of time uh, in my career, I would like to focus on change management and ideally, um, you know, gain a lot of experience and become or become an expert in change management or, or at least consider myself an expert in change management. So this is why I also started the PhD. How exciting. <laughs> so what made you do that change from project management into change management? You mentioned that you were a little bit hesitant at first, mm -hmm. but was it really that human aspect of it that led you into it? That's a great question. Um, I um, I heard I had heard about change management ten years before I actually decided to move in in that direction, and of course, as a project manager, you do change management stuff. Um, it's it's impossible not to. But I was always drawn to that people side of change, of how people change, what makes them change, what motivates them to change. This is why I also uh, did a, a coaching certification, and coaching is all about helping people go through the process of of change. Um, so in a way, I felt that it was the right thing to do for my personality. And it has, it. I, I had always felt the pull towards it, uh, but I had never said a full yes to it. 
and I took a break from from work in a way. Um, I, I think I can say that for two years, and I I did some some things on my own. You know, I tried the entrepreneurship path, but it didn't go as well as uh, my husband's. It's Mr. Husband, as I call him, uh, George, um, who you know probably a lot of people know that he's the um, uh, the founder of the of Lights on Data. Um, but I wasn't as successful as him because I'm not as consistent as a disciplined. Um, and after, you know, when I when I realized that I I'm actually a better fit for working in a team and in an organization, I said, okay, this is the right moment to go into the direction of change management. That's a really good point in that you found that you worked better on a team. So you just went full force into the human aspect side of things. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer to um, listen to the call, (laughs) the little voice inside who knows better. (laughs) Uh, But when we do, I I think that the rewards are, are there for sure. I agree. So as a change management consultant, what are your main roles and responsibilities uh, that you do? Mm-hmm. I, I always say, you know, um, my title is actually Adoption and Change Management Consultant. And I always laugh when people ask me what I do because people don't really know what change management is. They imagine a lot of things. They know the word change. They know the word management. But I don't not that many people know what change management actually is. And I'm, I'm sure that most of our listeners do. But I, I was um, I met this uh, guy on in, on the airport and he was uh, he was in the medical field. And when I said adoption consultant, I, I felt the need to explain that it's not about, you know, adopting kids. It's about adopting technology, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, then um, when people ask me, okay, so what does an adoption management consultant do? I usually ask, how much time do you have? <laughs> so that I explain the whole, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So basically what we do, uh, we help people go through change in organizations. And the change can be, this organizational change can be of a lot of types. It can be the introduction of new technology, the change of processes um, or improvement of workflows. It can be restructurings or reorganizations. It can be a lot of things. And as we know, as humans, we are naturally resistant to change. So change creates um, fear, anxiety, this feeling of uncertainty, discomfort. Even if we're people who like diversity and who like change, there is still um, more energy that needs to be put in the process of adapting to something new. And the the field of change management uh, through different measures um, and tools and techniques, we smooth, we make this process smooth from the as is to the to be or for the current state to the future state. And we help the person that was impacted to be successful in the future state as well, because that's one of the worries, right? You fear that you won't be as productive with the this change with the new technology, with the new process, with the new organizational structure, even with a new boss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you fear that you won't uh, perform as good, that um, you won't handle things well. And through our, through this art and science of change management, if I may say, of course, um, 
we we make sure that people have a good experience with the change, um, that they become comfortable with the change and successful in the future state, and that that future state is not considered the future state anymore, but their second nature. Mm-hmm. And how we do it is uh, we have communication um, measures. So communication is very important to explain people why we are changing, why what are the risks of not changing, why are we changing now? Uh, then we want to create the desire for people to change, you know, to show them what's in it for them, um, what, uh, how is their life or their life at work going to be easier, more productive or more pleasant if they go through the change. Then we train them, uh, so to give them the knowledge and the skills to be successful. Right. We teach them how to use the new technology or the new application. We teach them how the process works, the new or the new workflow. Um, so we give them everything that they need to be successful. And then we um, we make sure that we have infrastructure in place um, once they start using the new technology workflow, organizational structure or whatever it is um, in, in case they have questions or in case they encounter issues. Um, so we set, uh, we we plant so-called ambassadors in different departments to make sure that in case they have questions, then they have someone to reach out to or things like that. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, we also create um, a system to make this change sustainable. We create okay. words, we celebrate successes and so on. I It was a very long answer, but it, I'm passionate about it. So I was waiting for that sustainability <laughs> part. I was like, but how do yes. you make sure that everyone is still using and still moving forward with what they learned? Because I've been to conferences and retreats and, and whatnot and, you know, learned what it had to teach and got really excited, went back home, went back to work and then started using it. But then months go by and then you kind of revert back to the ways that you're Mm -hmm. used to, which is not a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So how exactly do you do you periodically check in to make sure like how how is everyone still doing? Is everyone still on the right path? Great segue into data. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> so, of course, you always check the data, right? So you you check to see what the usage is, um, how how people are using the different things. We do surveys uh, with the, with the people with the target group or with the people impacted by by the change to see how they're doing. Right. So that's you. You do the pulse check. You look at the data, um, but. There are ways, very effective ways to to actually make the change stick. Um, And one of them, and I think this is also for us a personal, um, maybe a thing to implement in our personal life, is to ensure that there's no way back. Um, So sometimes in organizations, if you start using a new technology, it might be that the old technology is not available anymore. Mm -hmm. So you will have... To, to use it anyway, or you cannot go through the, the previous process or the previous workflow because the infrastructure is not there, um, or everyone is functioning by the new organizational structure and there's not, nothing you can do, so you, you have to adapt. So I think we need to have structures in place also in our personal life, that do not allow us to to revert to to that. Then uh, we have all these reinforcement measures. For example, we have rewards. 
uh, for people who, who are, you know, eliciting the desired behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so they associate this with something positive. Then we share success stories of people who have used the new technology or, you know, changed successfully. Um, and we show that in organizations to see how to, to show everyone, okay, this is how it looks like if you do use this or if you do implement what, or if you go through, if you go through the change, this is this is how it looks like and this is how success looks like in a way. Um, and then uh, we continue to have uh, those ambassadors or some, some organizations call them champions in place um, okay. who are to continue to advocate for, for that thing that has changed and encourage end users to end users or the target group or the impact population if you want to um to to continue using those um those things and i don't know but when it comes to personal change i find that we have to make it part of our identity so if you if you want to start uh, i don't know a physical activity and you don't consider yourself a person who actually does that, you need to change that identity and to tell yourself that you are actually an active person. You are um, a person that works out regularly or goes to whatever practice. So you need to make it part of your identity because, and or if you want to quit smoking, for example, <laughs> sorry, I have to have say something. I have a good friend who is smoking and mm-hmm. uh, and he says, you know, I, I thought many times of uh, of quitting smoking, but I decided I'm not a quitter. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I've heard <laughs> that before, and I'm like, come on. <laughs> I, that was the first time I heard it, so I found it so um, But the idea is that if you want to, you know, uh, quit smoking, um, you in in case you regret it or you miss smoking and you um it's being a smoker is still part of you and your identity then you will go back to smoking but if you uh, if you change that identity of yours and you say you know what i'm not a smoker i don't miss it um then then you'll be relieved and you won't feel the need to to smoke that's a good point changing your identity, making sure that there's no way to revert back to yeah. where you came from. Yes. These are all, these are all great tips. Yeah. <laughs> now you mentioned also working out. I learned that you used to teach yoga. Is that yes. correct? I do. And I can tell you also a funny story why I started teaching yoga. So I am not necessarily proud of this, but it's funny and it's worth sharing. So I, I uh, when uh, uh, we moved to Canada, my mother-in-law uh, brought me to a yoga studio, a hot yoga studio where the teachers all looked amazing. Um, and I also loved, you know, being there. It was a great workout. It was a more more active yoga, very based on the physical aspect of yoga. Um, and as we know, yoga has many aspects: so mental aspect, the spiritual aspect. Um, but this was focused very much on the on the physical plane, let's say. And I remember my second class, uh, this teacher, a former dancer, Monica. She looked amazing she was so graceful i think is the word in english 
And I remember she saying, you know, her, you know, voice very, also very, very smooth. Everyone, step at the top of your mat, inhale, arms up, exhale, forward fold. And then I look at her and she has this very, very sexy butt. <laughs> I was mesmerized. And I turned to my mother-in-law and I asked her, can I become a yoga teacher? In my mind thinking that this is <laughs> the answer. And my mother-in-law said, sure of course you can and she, she she her reply was so natural and so genuine i'm like oh actually this is possible you know to actually become a yoga teacher and this is how how i started it and interestingly enough that exact same teacher was starting a teacher training in in a few months perfect. and it was a perfect fit for um timing wise also so so how would you say that this helps you, this experience has helped you become a better professional? In a few ways. So one of them is focus. Um, in yoga, we do some, what we call balancing poses, you know, when we are either on one leg mm -hmm. or uh, we can do also arm balances. And um, these balancing poses, help a lot with focus it it works two ways when uh, when you are in class um, and you do a balancing pose a balancing pose is also a good measure to see how how focused you are and how what your mood is and how you're feeling on that day um, you, you'll notice that your balance is different from one day to the other also different from one side from the right, the right side and the, the left side and it's a good indicator to see where your mind is is your mind all over the place um, or are you in a, in a balanced state, in a focused state? And while practicing yoga um, and these balancing poses, your, your focus improves as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, uh, that's one aspect. Um, the second one would be breath and breath work, which okay. is, so everyone listening, breath and doing breath work doesn't cost a thing, but it does miracles to your body. So it gets your body in a calm state, a detached state, um, a peaceful state. Um, and that's where the magic happens. It's what we call, it, it brings us from the fight or flight mode, or fight, flight, or freeze, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. It brings us in the rest and digest phase or the, it, sorry, so from the sympathetic uh, fight or flight in the parasympathetic, but this, which is the rest and digest. Um, and that's where, you know, we, we are calm. Uh, that's when um, we also can make better and more detached decisions. Um, and that simply calms us down from you know, whatever happens at work, because inevitably there will be a meeting that is going to be tougher. There will be a deadline that is going to, you know, just hang over our head, <laughs> ready to fall. Um, there, There is going to be maybe a little conflict with, with someone at work. And it's not because not, it's not their fault. It's not your fault. It's just, you know, human nature. And with the help of breath work and a few deep breaths, so just three deep breaths, just bring you in a state of calmness and detachment that will help you make better decisions, have better answers to what is in front of you. So, so focus with through the balancing poses, breath. And you know what? There is, um, you know, stretches. 
do stretches without even standing up. So just a few side stretches, a few back bends and forward mm -hmm. bends, and a few twists. So if we're moving the, um, the spine in all three planes, you know, side stretches, forward stretch, forward fold and bend, and then a tw twist from side to side, that already helps us so, so much. So stretching releases endorphins and makes us feel better. It's also a great way to bring some, some circulation, some blood into, you know, the old all of the body um so so that helps as well and i would have two more things do we have time for two more things how yoga yes. can help in yoga there's a teaching called um ahimsa and ahimsa means non-violence and this is great um because non-violence means a lot of things it means not you know we're not talking about we can talk about physical violence but it's not it's it's not the case but it's violence through um, other types of actions through words and even through thoughts. And it can be violence towards um, someone else. It can be violence towards a situation, but it can also be violence towards ourselves. And violence, I know, is a very strong word, but um, what it means is that sometimes we don't say nice things to ourselves in our head. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times. Um, and yoga teaches us to be kinder to both ourselves and other people. And I find that this helps a lot in in the relationships with others and in the relationship to, to myself. And of course, teaching yoga, you see different kinds of bodies, different kinds of personalities. Mm -hmm. And you, you understand that um, some days, some people are more open, uh, they're more relaxed, sometimes they're stressed and tense and they might need something else than what you've planned, you know, mm -hmm. in the class. And I think this translates into everyday life and it also into work that everyone is different. You cannot expect the same reactions from everyone. You cannot expect the same reactions from the same person every day. And I think uh, it's a good teaching to to take the people where they are and to and not not to try to be, impose things or to have expectations and just just work with people where they're at that mm -hmm. day or in that at that particular time in their life. I was just thinking in my head about the balancing because there are some days where I'm off as well. And then I realize, like, yeah, I'm not I'm not feeling it right now. That's why, you know, yeah. I can't stand up straight for some reason. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. And and that is your body telling you that this might not be what you need that day. Yeah. That is more than fine. Mm -hmm. So the best, the best teaching of yoga is actually to listen to to yourself, to your body, because we we believe that we have this inner teacher that uh, knows what is best for us in every single situation. And I, I truly hope that out of their yoga practices that people actually take that with them. What I'm gathering from this is that we need to learn from others and also learn from ourselves, listen mm -hmm. to what our bodies are telling us and that will help us in our you know, daily lives with ourselves and with our teammates.
Speaking of learning new things, how do you like to learn new things when you're uh, learning something completely brand new? <laughs> I, you know, I, I know that this doesn't work for everyone, but I read. To me, I don't know, reading comes easy in a way. Um, it's, it's comfortable and, I, and that's where I start by reading. Um, I also take this to the extreme <laughs> to, because uh, right now I want to participate in, um, in a run and I don't like running at all. So I do other stuff. I do martial arts. I play tennis. I do yoga, dance, whatever. But running is, is, is I don't know. It's just, I, I, I just hate it basically. I, no. uh, okay. And we were speaking about known violence. So, yeah. So I, and I, I said, I, I, I told myself, okay, um, it would help me in the other sports disciplines that I practice if I also run a little bit. So I would play better tennis. It would be nice because uh, and so run. There's other maybe there's other people participating, and it would be nice to for to make it a to make a social activity out of it. Anyway, so I bought a book about running. <laughs> so before I actually started running, I decided I have to buy a book. And I participated in the Stony Robbins event and they were mentioning about this person who has run, I don't know, many, many marathons, insane lengths of, I don't know, runs and so on. And the, what they were saying is that it teaches you how to run in order to um, in, enjoy running. And I'm like, okay, I think this would be a good start. And on Monday, I did my first run. So, yay! It's good. Yes, yes. It's the first step, anyway. It was very, a very, I don't even want to call it a an achievement <laughs> because if you look at the data, <laughs> what I ran and now <laughs> and for how long and so on. Anyway, it it's but it's still I got out of the house right and and you finished. Well, I didn't, uh, that's what the book says, actually, to start running at your own pace, mm -hmm. uh, run for as long as it's still comfortable and so on, and then continue because it, you will, it will become better and better instead of, I don't know, asking the impossible from you, you know, to run this much uh, in this many minutes and so on. This might make things become very stressful and make you avoid it oh, and, okay yeah so so it's interesting I, I can just you know continue and see how it goes so reading would be one thing that uh, that really helps me um, learn new things and i am i am very very open to try out things so from i don't know belly dancing to mixed martial arts to, from neural feedback to I don't know, floating uh, from therapy and coaching to family constellations and regressions and stuff like <laughs> that. So I, I try everything because I'm very curious. Um, and I think this has also helped me to be able to suggest um, self-help uh, therapies or, you know, modalities to people based on their needs. Just because I've tried so many and I know what what they are about and how they work and in which situations they they work. And, the, and maybe the most important 
means of learning for me has have been other people. So I learn most things from from other people. I I think the people around us are a wealth of knowledge, right? They have their own experience, their own backgrounds and just by listening to them, what has helped them, what they are dealing with in their lives, um, what new book they read, what thing they've tried out, what challenges they have in their relationships, in their health, in their work, in their financial things, and how they're addressing those. I think people around us are actually walking encyclopedias <laughs> by by just you know talking to them and asking them about themselves there's so so much to learn and i also have an expert in my life for each area so when it comes to yoga i ask my yoga teacher when it comes to um i don't know um, services like massages and so on i ask my friend maira when uh, i have to go i want to go to a restaurant then i ask someone else because i don't yes. like doing with the research on my my own mm -hmm. um and i know that so i'm lazy and so then i have friends who who are very good in different types of um you know areas yeah so i i, I ask them yes that reminds me of the topic of generalist versus specialist mm -hmm. so it sounds like you are a generalist much like i where you're very curious you just want to know everything about everything but then you know what specialists to go to in each of those areas if you have further questions so best of both worlds <laughs> i hope so I, I would say so yes yeah now, you mentioned a little bit about books, and I know that you have some book recommendations for us. So what are those? Something that I read recently, so a few books that I read recently that I were that changed that really changed me and and improved my life. Um, and I wanted to suggest um, th you know three overarching topics. So physical health, mental and emotional health, and spiritual health. Um, I don't I I think that most people have heard at least about one or two of these books because they're pretty, pretty famous. But this is something, these are the books that I've read recently and they really made a difference in my life. So regarding physical health, what I'm reading right now is uh, Young Forever by Dr. Mark Hyman. And Dr. Mark Hyman, if you follow him, that's great. If you don't, it would be great. So my, my recommendation is that you follow him. He has great, great uh, advice on things on how to increase your lifespan, but also your health span so that you are healthier for longer and enjoy your life um, for longer. So it, it's it's a really, really good book. And he explains things very, very well. He visits the blue zones um, and explains why, why people are doing so well there. Um, and he doesn't talk only about the health aspect. He's, he also explains how and why relationships are important, how and why meaning and purpose increase your longevity. And that studies actually confirm this. So it, it's, it's a very, very rich uh, book and how he calls uh, it. I think, I think he wrote 20 books or something, but this is the crowning of all of them. Okay. So that would be one. So uh, Young Forever by Dr. Mark Herman. Then uh, something that really changed my life and the way that I eat um, in a very pleasant way is the glucose revolution. Mm. 
Glucose Revolution. If you don't follow Glucose Goddess on Instagram, I think it's she's worth following before actually even buying the book. She has uh, maybe nine hacks and how to eat in order to um, to not gain weight, but actually to lose weight. And she doesn't say uh, and she doesn't say about giving up stuff, but rather adding stuff to okay. to the diet. It's so. I've been dealing with these things and diets and so on, I think for 20 years now, um, if actually 20 years, yes. Um, but this is the easiest to implement, the easier, the easiest hacks to implement out of all. And they have amazing results. Um, you just have to add fiber before you eat anything. So you can, ah, eat, okay. so you can, you can basically eat croissants like I do. <laughs> Um, you can um, eat, you know, sweets and bread and stuff like that, as long as you eat them after you had some fiber before. Uh, and she explains why, but she explains it in such a way that it's really easy to understand it for her people who don't have medical, medical background. It's a very easy to read book, but it makes a huge change. And now after, you know, people have seen, my, my family has seen results on me, they all started to, so, or the ones that you know wanted to to lose some weight or eat a little bit healthier they implemented it and they hold also have great 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 results because it's very it's the easiest thing to do actually to add stuff instead of you know telling you oh she shouldn't be eating sweets or carbs never ever or right. okay you can't take so, away your favorite food what's your favorite uh flavor croissant oh my goodness a double baked <laughs> almond croissant Mm -mm -mm. Ooh. double baked i don't know how they double bake it i have no idea it's just that it's so delicious okay i'll have to try that <laughs> all right so uh glucose revolution i cannot pronounce her last name very good uh but um you can follow glucose goddess on instagram then uh mental and emotional health what i'm reading right now is burnout by emily nagoski and her twin sister uh, i forgot her name so burnout is about um it show it teaches you how to complete the emotional cycle um, so you don't have to be burnt out necessarily to read the book. Um, it's about completing the emotional cycle, meaning that, you know, if you're in a meeting at a work and someone says something and it creates maybe a negative emotion in you, it triggers you in a way, um, makes you, I don't know, sad, angry, fearful, whatever it is, you won't be able to express that feeling in most, most of the times in that meeting with all the other people. And then the emotion gets blocked somewhere in your system in your physical body, in your emotional body, in your, and so you need, we all need to make sure that we complete that emotional cycle, that we allow that emotion to go through us and to complete its cycle so that it doesn't get blocked and it doesn't create burnout and other, you know, stress-related um, issues. And we can do this, you know, by, um, by movement, by breathing, by laughing or crying, by positive social interaction, creative activities, and so on. And they explain in the book how we can actually uh, complete the emotional cycle in a healthy way so that those emotions don't get stuck in our bodies. And it's there's 
it's a very practical it's a very practical book and i think for parents especially for moms and you know for for women who have to juggle so many things in their lives right they have to juggle work and kids and activities and housework and so on i think it's a very very empowering book so uh, burnout by emily nagoski and uh, her twin sister who's also a very, very successful um, woman. And the last one on, it's more on spiritual health, if you want. Um, it's a, on a, an older book. It's called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. Okay. You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay. It's, um, it's a very, very feel-good book. And it talks about the idea of how powerful self-love actually is. And it teaches you how to, how to actually love yourself but also very practical right because we talk about self-love and everyone says oh you need to love yourself mm -hmm. you need to be more confident and you need to self-acceptance and release self-doubt <laughs> and all these things i'm like okay but how do i do it i know that i have to do these things but how mm -hmm. yes that's good i'll go ahead and have all of those recommendations in the show notes so we have all of those links <laughs> that's amazing all right uh, do you have any other words of encouragement or tips for us? Yes, I wanted to share some change management tips, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Uh, because we wanted to talk about change management a little bit as well. And um, I think I've talked about self-help maybe too much. So um, uh, I think we all need to do change management at um to, to a certain degree uh, we need to do change management with ourselves at life in life uh, in our personal life and in our work life we need to do change management with our a little bit with our families or if we have <laughs> kids um, and uh, we need to do it at, at, at work in, in any project ultimately and especially if we're managing other people if we're uh, if we are project managers and uh, and before change managers, of course. So I had three things that I just wanted to to mention. I hope that um, at least one resonates with uh, with people, um, with everyone listening or watching. Um, so the first one would be, I think it's important to remember in organizations that, as um, Hyatt says, um, who is the um, the founder of the Ad Car model which is a very, very famous change management model. He says that the, the organizational change is the sum of individual changes. So when we implement any change in an organization, it's so, so important to, to change this perspective from something global to something individual and to, to think about that person, Joe Average from I don't know what department. <laughs> or Jane Average from from that department, you know, and and to to think about them and how this impact changes them. What happens when they come to work on that on a day and they are announced that uh, the next day a change is going to happen? How are they going to feel? And what do they need in order to be successful? And I think this is very important to think about that one person and how they change and how they go through change and what they need in order to uh, to have a smooth change. So that would be the first one. The an organizational change is the sum of individual changes. That would be the first the first thing. The the second uh, tip that I wanted to to mention is that resistance to change 
is to be expected and respected. Mm. So it is natural for us to be um, resistant to change. So when when you want to implement a change, whether in your personal life in your, or in your um, work life, if you encounter resistance, it's not that people have something against you. It's, it's their natural reaction. Um, that is how our brain works. So if back in the day when you were chased by tigers, if you would look, just imagine you were looking at a, at a, at a bush. Mm-hmm. Okay, right? And if the pattern of the bush was different in one area, that might mean that there was a predator inside it. Mm-hmm. And that automatically will trigger you and will make you anxious. It's it's your just your natural reaction. Uh-huh. Right? And and that's fine. And actually, when I say so it's to be expected. So people don't have something against you when they're resistant and respected. Um, what I mean by that is that resistance is actually not bad because sometimes maybe we just want to change for the sake of changing, mm-hmm. but maybe change is not what is necessarily needed or maybe it is, but it needs to be adjusted a little bit. So I think resistance is very helpful in some in, in situations because it makes us think twice, three times, four times before we actually make a change to make sure that that change is something that we actually need. It's not something that we think that we need. So usually resistance um, leads to more analysis, to looking at data, Uh, and it leads to to giving it more thought so that mm -hmm. it's actually the right thing. And the third thing, allow the people who are impacted by the change to co-create the change. Yes. Involve them in the process because they will consider themselves, they will be closer to the change. They will have great, great input because they know their everyday life a lot better. They're experts at what they do. Um, And they, um, they will own the change differently. I agree with that. I always want to feel included, right? (laughs) Well, Thank you so very much for sharing all of these tips, tricks, books, <laughs> yoga, breathing. Uh, I, I need so much practice with this. <laughs> Just choose one. So don't try to do everything at once. Just choose one that's, thing. That's one thing. thing. One thing. Because I, I know, I you know, so by when, when you get too much information um, at once, then it becomes too much, it becomes overwhelming. So just choose one, the lowest hanging fruit, um, and focus on that. And once that is established, it will be a lot easier for the others to follow, other things to follow. So you can choose breath work if you want. And, you know, set an alarm on your clock to say, or on your phone to say, okay, now breathe three times every hour or how, how often you want. I love that. Key takeaway Calm down. Focus on one thing, Monica. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Deanna. Where can everybody find you and or follow you if they have further questions? LinkedIn is is great. And I'm looking forward to to connecting and to chatting and to sharing resources. And thank you very, very much, uh, Monica. It was a pleasure. And thank you very much, everyone, for watching, for listening. I send you lots and lots of hugs and lots of love.
And as always, folks, happy learning.